Well, good morning, everybody. Aloha kakahiaka. It is so good to see you all here on this rainy, blustery Sunday morning. Uh, welcome to Hawaii Church. Uh, would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, uh, which is on page 873 in the Bibles in the seat in, in front of you. Uh, we're going to be studying this morning verses 18 through 21. Again, that's on page 873 in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. Luke chapter 13, 18 through 21 will be our passage of study this morning. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Now, before we begin, uh, would you please bow your heads with me uh, as we open our time in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you again for this morning. And we thank you, Father, that it is indeed uh, you who we are here to hear from. And we ask that you would speak through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to touch and reach uh, each one of us. Speak to us, Lord, I pray. Uh, Be gracious, be merciful as I know you are. Help us to see wonderful, beautiful things in your law. We love you so much and we look forward to what you have for us. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever watch uh, the news on the TV or on the internet or read the newspaper and come away despairing over the state of our society and our world today? The evil, the violence, the lying, the deception that seems to be so prevalent, it's everywhere. When you see the direction that our culture is taking, do you come away saddened? As a believer in Christ, do you ever feel like a fish swimming upstream against the current of modern woke thought? Well, of course we do. Unless you are absolutely, completely, totally disconnected from the media, you can't help but notice what's going on in the world. Many, not all, but many of our political leaders, our university professors, social media influencers, entertainment icons, sports figures, industry and financial giants, so many of these leaders of our society, through political power, through big business, the media, and especially through the instant communication channel of the internet, well, they promote and they almost preach a belief system that is the complete opposite to what we believe as Christians. Then, on top of all of this, there is our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own laziness that we do see in our own hearts and lives that can be so discouraging sometimes. The the world and all of its philosophies, they seem to stand so strong and mighty. And the gospel, the message of God's mercy and love and forgiveness of sins that we have based our lives upon is so often ignored, cast to the wayside by our society as ignorant, irrelevant, ineffective, to the point that we ourselves may sometimes question how effective and relevant it is even in our own lives. It can sometimes seem like the church and God's people are so weak, like a small voice crying out in the wilderness so vastly outnumbered. And this can leave us as believers despairing, despondent, and at times throwing up our hands in frustration and even anger. Well, if you've ever felt this way, and I know I have, then I want you to take heart. Take heart. 
for our message this morning is for you. And it's not my message. It's not me telling you this. It's going to be Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, what we have here is Jesus giving his disciples and us perspective. Proper perspective on how to see the kingdom of God at work in this world and in our own lives. Jesus is pointing out that everything is not always as it may initially seem. We as believers need to see the kingdom of God as Jesus sees it. What may seem small and insignificant right now is not how it will always be. It will grow. It will always grow. Just like a tiny seed grows into a tree or a small bit of yeast will eventually permeate the entire piece of dough, the kingdom of God will grow. As Philip Ryken puts it, from a small and seemingly insignificant beginning, the kingdom of God grows, at times invisibly and almost imperceptibly, until it reaches all nations with its transforming power. Now, before we look at these verses in a little bit more detail, let's first think about this phrase, kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, throughout the Gospels, especially in Luke and in Matthew, Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of God, using many parables and comparisons to paint a picture of what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field, he says, or like a merchant in search of fine pearls, or a net that was thrown into the sea. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The kingdom may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And in our passage today, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, or like leaven. Jesus uses all these parables to explain the kingdom of God because his kingdom is not like any earthly kingdom with a government, physical boundaries, or an army. It's not like that. But this is what the Jews, including the disciples, were hoping for as they anticipated their Messiah. They were hoping that he would usher in a physical kingdom to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. In fact, the mother of James and John even had the audacity to ask that her sons could sit at Jesus' right and left hand when he came into his kingdom. They had no idea what Jesus' kingdom was all about. Setting up a physical kingdom on earth was not what the Messiah came to do. Jesus came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant who would die for the sins of his people. Who would have expected such a thing? Nobody. And so the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, was something completely unexpected, for it wasn't an earthly kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. 
Listen to what Jesus says after he was arrested and is standing before Pontius Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And again in Luke 17, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus was trying to show the people that he was ushering in a spiritual kingdom and that he was the king. It was to be an unseen kingdom, invisible except through the eyes of faith. Whenever Jesus was recognized and honored as king, that's where the kingdom would be. I like how Ligon Duncan defines the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God refers to the reign of God in this world and especially in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. What I think Ligon Duncan is saying here, and I agree with this, is that he's linking the kingdom of heaven with our faith. True faith is not just a mental exercise where we acknowledge Jesus' existence, just like I believe this podium is here. True faith is where we believe the gospel and where Jesus rules and reigns in our hearts, which means we acknowledge him as our king and we humble ourselves before our king and faithfully and willingly submit our lives and our wills to his sovereign rule. He is to every believer, King Jesus. He is the Lord of our lives, and we obey, and we follow him wherever he leads. Brothers and sisters, I propose to you this morning that that is true faith. And where you have true faith, you will find the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who become like children. In Luke 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. And on the flip side, we are told of the rich ruler who depended upon himself and trusted in his wealth to the point where he, could not, he would not even give it up to save his soul. And so Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We must enter the kingdom like a little child with no rights, no demands, no wealth or power of our own. We're not supposed to be our own little kings over our own little fiefdoms. We must come to the kingdom like children with trust and with faith and with dependence upon our king. Again, the kingdom of God refers to the reign of God in this world and especially in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Now, with this basic summary of the kingdom of God as our backdrop, let's look in more detail at our passage this morning. Let's read again Luke 13, starting in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. 
and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, the first thing we should notice from this passage here in verse 18 is that it begins with a therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you should look back to the previous passages because the therefore basically connects the dots between our current passage with whatever came before it. The two thoughts are meant to go together. And so we look back, and if you remember from Pastor Dan's sermon last week, the previous passage had to do with the miraculous healing of the hunched-over woman. Remember, remember her? She was basically bent over in half, having been afflicted by Satan for 18 years. And so Jesus heals her. He miraculously restores her, but he does so on the Sabbath day. And because no work was allowed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader, if you remember, he denounces Jesus before the people, condemning him for healing or doing work on the Sabbath. Now, how does our passage this morning about a mustard seed and leaven connect back to last week's story about Jesus healing this woman and the condemnation he received for doing so? How are the dots connected? Well, remember... Jesus was teaching and ministering to an increasingly hostile and opposing audience. Almost all of the Jewish leadership, the leadership that controlled the spiritual, cultural, social aspects of Jewish society, these leaders were almost universally opposed to Jesus. They hated what he was teaching. They were jealous of his power and authority. And so they wanted to just get rid of him. And in spite of all of Jesus' miracles, the Jewish leaders were turning the people against him, saying that the source of Jesus' power was Satan himself. In addition, as you know, Israel at the time was under the oppressive rule of the Roman government, where Caesar was the king of a massive empire. There was no room for another kingdom, let alone another king. So imagine... Imagine if you were one of Jesus' disciples. You had left everything behind to follow him. And now at this point in Jesus' ministry, several years in, the odds are starting to stack up against you. And you might start to have your doubts. What did we give up our lives for? Where? Where is this promised kingdom? You know, we're feeding and we're healing people, but there are very few people who believe our message In fact, many of them want to kill us. What real positive effect are we having? And so after the discouraging words of the synagogue leader in our previous passage, after he condemns Jesus in front of all the people for healing the woman on the Sabbath, how does Jesus respond? Well, he responds with these parables. And he says, yes, right now, The kingdom of God may appear small and insignificant, but it is going to grow. It may appear like nothing right now. It may seem powerless in the face of the Jewish leadership's opposition, and it may seem pitifully small in the face of a powerful Roman empire. But like a tiny little mustard seed, it is going to grow. Similarly, the healing and the restoration of this unnamed, seemingly insignificant, hunched-over woman in this tiny, insignificant part of the world, her healing is just the beginning. 
It is just the tiny beginning that will one day lead to the healing and restoration of all humanity, of all creation. A dead humanity and a fallen creation will one day be healed and restored. And you are seeing in this woman just the tiny beginnings of that. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like a mustard seed, tiny and insignificant, but it will, be, it will grow. So do not be discouraged. It will grow. And so as you and I, as we stand up for our faith, and as we stand firm in our beliefs and share the gospel to an unbelieving, even mocking world, the opposition that we face may be fierce, almost insurmountable. And in the face of this opposition, you may start to feel like the disciples did. What am I doing? What real effect is my faith having? And the opposition could get so bad that we might get to the point where even the message of the gospel may start to sound a little far-fetched, ridiculous even, to our own ears. Increasingly, you're going to hear from the so-called leaders of our society that the Bible and its teachings are outdated, irrelevant, bigoted, ignorant, unscientific, misogynistic, narrow-minded, and have no place. The Bible has no place in modern thought and society. You're going to increasingly hear that. Christian, you are outnumbered and you are insignificant. To which Jesus would reply with the same parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, small and insignificant, but do not worry. It will grow. It has always grown and it always will grow. If you are a child of God, take that little mustard seed, no bigger than a millimeter, and sow it, plant it in your garden, share it, and it's going to grow to be like a tree, big enough that the birds of the air can make their nests in its branches. Now, this image of birds making their nests in strong branches of a tree go all the way back to the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Psalms, in the book of Ezekiel. In the Ezekiel example, in chapter 17, Ezekiel prophesied that God would one day plant his people like a tree on a high mountain, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. Now, the imagery that I think Jesus wants us to see here is that from this tiny little mustard seed of a beginning, God will one day grow a huge tree-like kingdom that will be the shelter and refuge for every kind of people, every sort of people from all over the world. And isn't that exactly what we have seen over the past 2,000 years? The gospel of the kingdom of God may have started off small and insignificant, but it has spread throughout the world. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard Dr. James Francis's One Solitary Life, but I think it's very appropriate, and so uh, this morning I'm going to read it to you again. It goes like this. One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village, where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. 
He did none of these things, usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when his friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves, and while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. That one solitary life. And those of us who, in spite of all opposition, place their faith in that life. That is the mustard seed. That is the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. 2,000 years later, who is Pontius Pilate? Who is King Herod? Who is Caesar Augustus? Outside of our history books, do we really care? And when you stand them up next to Jesus Christ, they are nobody. 2,000 years from now, should the Lord tarry and the world is still here, will anybody remember Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, Oprah Winfrey, LeBron James, Zendaya, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or Mr. Beast? Again, outside the history books, who will care? But will they still care about Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Why? Because the kingdom of God which starts with the tiny seed of the gospel, will grow. It will continue to grow and expand beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And it grows because in that tiny seed, in that little bit of yeast, there is life. There is life-transforming power that has been giving new life to dead sinners for over 2,000 years, life-transforming power that has been changing wicked men to saints, healing broken people, broken relationships, broken families, where once there were enemies, there are now brothers, where once there was only despair, there is now hope. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them the good news this life transforming life giving message of God that Jesus Christ the son of God came to earth specifically for one reason so that he could live a perfect life without sin in order that he might be the perfect sacrifice who would die in our place to pay the penalty for the sins that we deserved. Everything, every single evil thing that we have ever done, every evil thought that has ever crossed our mind, Jesus paid our debt. When we stood condemned before a holy and righteous judge, Jesus took our place. And he stood before the full and just wrath of a holy God against our sin. And he drank that wrath down to the last dregs so that we would not have to. 
And he did this, not because we deserved it, not because we were so lovable, but he did this because he loves us. And anyone who turns from their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf, Jesus says, you will be saved. You have entered into and you have been adopted into the kingdom of God. And so every human being, every person who's ever lived has just two options. You're either going to pay the death penalty for yourself in eternity in hell, or you're going to turn to Jesus Christ and trust and believe that he paid the death penalty for you. It's that simple. That's the life-transforming power of the gospel. And it is this life-transforming power that Jesus now addresses in the second parable. Look again at verse 20 and 21. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, similar to the first parable, from something very small, it grows and becomes larger. From some small beginning comes significant change. And in this case, you should know that three measures of flour is a lot of flour. It's like 50 or 60 pounds worth of flour. That's a lot of dough. A long time ago, I worked at a pizza place, and when we made dough for the crust, we would dump this huge bag of flour into this gigantic, massive mixer, add a certain amount of hot water and some oil, and then we'd take this little tiny packet of yeast. If I recall correctly, it was like the size of that Parmesan cheese packet that you find at the Costco food court. And we'd open it up, dump that in, and then we'd mix everything up together. And eventually, that little bit of yeast permeated the entire batch of dough and it transformed it and it caused the entire batch to rise. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting for us. That when the kingdom of God comes in like leaven into our lives, into our families, into our churches, into our communities, into our world, if it is real, it is going to grow and it will permeate everything. And remember, the kingdom of God exists where there is true faith, where Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And so where there is faith, even if that faith is as small as a little bit of leaven, it is going to grow and like the leaven, it's going to move through that entire ball of dough, and it will eventually touch every area of our lives. Notice Jesus' words in verse 21. The leaven is going to keep working in the dough until it was all leavened. The yeast doesn't just leave one part of the dough alone. It spreads throughout, but it takes time. And we don't always see how it's working. So we have to be patient with ourselves and with others. The ravages of sin affect people in different ways. Some people can overcome things in their lives right away, but for others, it takes more time. But don't give up. Keep leavening the dough, keep sharing, and keep living out the gospel, and eventually the effect of the kingdom of God will impact our entire lives. 
And as the kingdom of God permeates and transforms and works in the lives of individual believers, it will do the same thing in our families. And as it grows in our families, it grows in our churches. And as it grows in our churches, it starts to permeate our communities. And eventually it spreads until it reaches, yes, even to the ends of the earth. And how do I know this? Because we've seen it happening over and over and over again over the past 2,000 years. But even as I would exhort you to keep sharing the gospel, please keep in mind that the kingdom of God is not going to spread only because of your effort and your hard work. Rather, it's going to spread because of the very nature of the seed and yeast. The power to restore and transform is in the seed there is supernatural power in the gospel message. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And this is where we need to understand a very important ramification and the first application of our message this morning. Do not tamper with the gospel message. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. You know, there are some who may want to change the message, water down the gospel in order to make it easier for unbelievers to believe. They'll downplay sin or not mention it at all. They won't mention death or hell because they don't want to offend or hurt people's feelings, and they don't want to sound like a fire and brimstone preacher like me. There are also those who are ashamed of the gospel because to believe in God, to believe in the supernatural makes them look stupid or foolish to their highly educated peers. Or they're ashamed because to believe in a God who has a standard of morality that doesn't fit the current sexual revolution, well, it makes them appear intolerant, bigoted, out of touch, fearful. And then there are those who think the simple message of the gospel and the common means of grace that God has given to us through the church, through the preaching of the word of God and prayer, that these things are boring and ineffective. And so we've got to think of new ways, something completely different to grab the attention of people, especially our young people. But when we do any of these things, we are forgetting that this same gospel message and the simple means of God's grace have been the power of God for salvation and for the building up of his church for over 2,000 years. We're forgetting that parents have been preaching and teaching and living out this same gospel before their children, praying for them and bringing them to church every Sunday. This has been the common way Christianity has been passed on from generation to generation since the time of Christ. You know, it may look weak and ineffective, but God has determined that it is through these small, seemingly insignificant means that the kingdom of God is going to grow. So don't tamper with the message. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And don't try to get creative with the seed. Application point number two is this. Check your citizenship papers. Check your citizenship papers. Are you truly a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
And the way you check this is simple. Do you live in and for God's kingdom, which is a spiritual kingdom, where you trust in and depend upon Jesus Christ as a sovereign Savior and Lord over your life? Or do you live in and for an earthly kingdom, living only for the temporal things of this world, money, power, prestige, pleasure, where you are ultimately the sovereign ruler over your life? My friends, check your citizenship papers where you will spend eternity, either in heaven in the kingdom of God or in hell, is dependent upon your citizenship. So check your citizenship papers. And finally, application point three is this. Do not give up. Do not be discouraged. Remember, that the unbelieving fallen world from the very beginning has rejected Jesus Christ and they will continue to do so until the end of time. And not only that, but they will condemn and they will persecute everyone who desires to live a godly life. But in spite of this, do not give up. Be faithful in the little things. Keep reading and studying your Bibles Keep coming to church, keep praying, and keep sowing seeds. For it is in these seemingly insignificant things that the kingdom of God will grow. It has been growing like this for 2,000 years, and it will continue to grow until Christ returns. So do not give up. And do not give up in your suffering either. Even if you feel like you've been suffering from Satan's afflictions for 18 years, when, when Jesus healed the crippled, bent-over woman, he was showing us that true and complete restoration of a fallen humanity had just begun. The miracles that Jesus performed on earth, as great as these were, were just the small beginning. Because ultimately, Jesus was going to bring about something even greater more than the healing and the restoration of our mortal bodies, Jesus is concerned with the restoration of our eternal souls. And so he purchased our souls with his own blood. And through his resurrection from the dead, he would secure for us eternal life and the hope of heaven. So look towards that. Rejoice in that. And do not give up. And so as we close this morning, Christian, citizen of the kingdom of God, consider the mustard seed and the leaven and take hope. Be of good courage. Great things can come from small beginnings. For through your faith, the kingdom of God is here and it is growing and nothing not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And that is a promise from your king. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, God, that through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are working within each one of us helping us, Lord, to understand more and more who we are in you, 
citizens of the kingdom of God if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, that, Lord, your gospel would continue to grow within each one of our hearts, permeating every aspect of who we are until we are completely filled up with the gospel of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be absorbed in it. Help us to walk in it every day, to rejoice in you. For we thank you and praise you for this time. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.